Hey, Priest Chapel Paramount, welcome to our podcast. Hey, this message is from our midweek service with our very own evangelist, David Diga Hernandez, in a message entitled, The Power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you haven't followed us on Instagram or Facebook, give us a follow at PC Paramount, and then be sure to check us out on our website at praisechapelparamount.com. Enjoy this message. God bless you this evening. How are you doing? And welcome to those of you watching online. And we appreciate the many of you who are visiting with us. I want to minister a word tonight concerning the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to get into the word and we're going to really, I really want to dive deep into this subject. And I think sometimes we, we can become so used to reading the word that we fail to really appreciate some of the deep treasures that can be found in there. And so I really want to help you understand the dynamics of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life and really show you what Christ came to model for us. Because when I talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, I think that there are certain images and ideas that come to mind. And those images and ideas, though they are sometimes, you know, they occur and we are correct in imagining some of those things. But really, you have to remember that the power of God was put on your life for very specific purposes. The power of God was put on your life that you might live holy. The power of God was put on your life that you might be a bold witness. The power of God was put on your life that you might be able to demonstrate his love to other people. And I really do believe that if we can grasp a greater understanding of the power of the Holy Spirit and how that really transforms our lives, then we can begin to model that which Jesus modeled for us. So hands lifted, eyes closed, everybody praying in the Holy Spirit, please, all across this room. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word, Lord. And Father, we pray tonight that you would take your word and you would transform our hearts. Let us be more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. Let us be more in love with you than we were yesterday. Father, Look at everything that displeases you and remove it from us in the name of Jesus. Transform our hearts, Lord. Give us the character and the nature of Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, and then Steve, just be ready whenever. Of course, my brother, Mr. Stephen Moctezuma is here with me. And so just, uh, you can give your fingers a little break for now. I'm going to teach a little and then we'll find a flow, but stay here because you never know where we're going. How many appreciate Stephen's worship ministry? And he is working on an album, by the way. I got to hear um, a lot of that. I got, I got to hear the whole album in its infancy stage, so I'm sure you'll be developing more on that, but uh, love his worship ministry. Okay, so I want to talk to you about the power of the Holy Spirit, and as I said, we are going to be in the Word tonight. So get your Bibles, get your phones, get whatever you need to get in order to reference with me. And I'll primarily be reading out of the New Living Translation in the King James Version. But we have to remember that the ministry of the Holy Spirit first came through Christ. The ministry of the Holy Spirit was first demonstrated in the person of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the key to the empowered Christian life. The Holy Spirit is the secret to holy living. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers you to pray consistently and fervently. 
The Holy Spirit is the one who enables you to forgive the unforgivable, enables you to love the unlovable. He gives you the grace to carry the nature and the character of Christ. We can talk about power. We can talk about speaking in tongues. We can talk about healing. We can talk about deliverance. But the greatest proof that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life is the character and the nature of Christ within you. What good does it do to demonstrate power in a moment if you're not demonstrating Christ with your life? What good does it do to point people to Jesus if our lives are skewing their image of Jesus? You see, the way you live matters. The way you love matters. Being patient, being kind, being humble, being gentle, all of that matters. And as Christians filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, we ought to be the most loving, patient, understanding people on earth. And it should be the case. Sadly, it's not always the case. But we do need the power of the Holy Spirit. And in this day and age, churches and ministries are turning away from his power and treating him like he's an embarrassment or a liability rather than the power to live holy. They're treating him as if he's a problem. They're welcoming the Holy Spirit, but with reservation. They welcome the Holy Spirit and they say, take just enough to bless me, never enough to challenge me. Take just enough to transform my situation, but don't take enough to transform my heart. And we want the power of the Holy Spirit on our terms. We want the power of the Holy Spirit to work in our situation, but we fail to realize that the power of the Holy Spirit was not given that you might live in comfort and perfection of circumstance. Rather, the power of the Holy Spirit was given to you that you might endure under hardship and demonstrate light in the midst of darkness. What was it, do you imagine, that caused the early church to give their lives for the gospel? When the church was first founded, people would give their lives to spread that message. Some of us won't even take a drive when there's too much traffic. They would lay down their lives even though they would kill them. They would kill them back then. Today, we're afraid of being canceled. They would speak up for truth in the face of the ultimate punishment. We can't speak up for truth for fear that there may be backlash on social media. What's the difference? The contrast, the main difference, is that they understood who the Holy Spirit was. They understood what his power would do. And they understood who they were in Christ. Now, I say these things, and when I talk about knowing who you are in Christ or understanding the power of the Holy Spirit or being surrendered to him, we say amen and we affirm what we're hearing, but do we really understand what we're hearing? Or have we heard these terms and phrases so often that we fail to appreciate what they truly mean? When I talk about a life surrendered to the Holy Spirit, I'm talking about a life that is lived in response to the challenge to pick up your cross. You want to follow Jesus? It's going to cost you something. 
You want to truly know the depths of God, it's going to cost you something. Now, how do we live this? How do we obtain this? Jesus showed us the way. But I want to show you first that, in fact, the power of the Holy Spirit was demonstrated to the life of Christ. And I want to really take the time to make the case from Scripture to show you that were it not for the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus would not have performed even a single miracle. I'm going to show that to you in the Bible. Now, when you first hear something like that, your natural tendency is to get defensive and say, but he was Jesus, and we understand that. But I want to show you something in the Scripture today. Matthew 1.18, and I'm reading this out of the King James Version. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. The Bible says this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, or it took place in this manner. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. In other words, it was a miraculous conception. But think for a moment about what that power accomplished, what the Holy Spirit did when he caused Christ to be manifested in the earth. We talk about God being incomprehensible. We talk about God being eternal, all-powerful, omnipresent, omniscient. We talk about God being infinite in all ability, infinite in love, infinite in size. The universe cannot contain him. And I think sometimes we become so aware of our own systems and our own programs and our own religious perspectives that we fail to realize just how big and grand and magnificent and beautiful and mysterious God truly is. You're talking about the all-knowing mind. You're talking about the genius that spoke every system into existence. You're talking about the mind that created the solar system, that created our ecosystems, that conceptualized color and created all of the intricacies that make up your physical being. We're talking about a genius mind, eternal in power, eternal in love, infinite in ability, and yet the Holy Spirit took that God whom the heavens could not contain and put him in a physical finite body. Think about that. Don't just read that and let that, 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 the, 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 the weight of this be lost on you. That the Holy Spirit could take God and make him a man? That's power. The incomprehensible eternal God in a finite body. His work so detailed. His work so complete. But the scripture says in John 14, 9, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? In other words, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father God. The work of the Holy Spirit was so complete, so perfect, that not a single detail was missed. Everything about God's will, everything about God's mind, everything about God's power and ability, and everything about that eternal being placed in the body of a man. 
the work so complete. And when he says, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's the power of the Holy Ghost. Colossians 2.9 says, for in him, I love this verse, Colossians 2.9, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything God is in a body. When they looked at Jesus, they were looking at the one who carried within his being the secrets of the universe. When they touched his hands, they were reaching outside the bounds of time and space. Heaven himself walking in the earth. The Holy Spirit opening that impossible door. And through that impossible door, the creator stepped into creation. That's the mystery of the incarnation. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to the point where you could say that Jesus was truly God and truly man. I don't say fully God, fully man, because if he was fully man, he could not have done certain things. If he was fully, if he was fully God, he could not have done certain things as a man. But he was truly God. And he was truly man. Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 through 8 say, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Now hold your place there in Philippians chapter 2 verse 6. I want to make something very clear. The Bible says in John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory full of grace and truth. That is speaking of the incarnation. There was never a point, if you could even reference, make time references to eternity, there was never a point when the Word was not God. So Jesus, from the moment He was conceived, throughout His infancy, his childhood, his teen years, his early adulthood, he was God. So I want to make this clear because we're about to go and examine the scripture and look at certain things that people don't often look at. But you have to understand that Jesus always was God, is God, and forever will be God. There was never a moment that he wasn't. Jesus was always God. Jesus always knew he was God. Before the world began, he was God. When he was a baby in the womb, he was God. When he died on the cross, he was God. When he resurrected and ascended, he was God. From beginning to end, he is God. Yet the scripture says something powerful here. Continuing Philippians 2, go down now, verse 7. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges... He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. He gave up a certain power. Look up at me for a second. Can you kill God? Well, if he's God, then no. 
By definition, God cannot be killed. If he can be killed, he he definitely is not God. Yet, Jesus died. What did he give up there? His divinity? No. There were certain privileges that he put down, and at any point, he could have picked them up. Jesus himself said that he, at any point, could have called upon legions of angels to come and rescue him. But he chose to lay down certain aspects of his divinity that he might accomplish his work that he came to fulfill within his humanity. He gave up that power. You can't kill God, yet Jesus died. Furthermore, Luke chapter 2, verse 52, what does it say? And Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God, in favor with man. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus is God, so replace that. And God grew? God grew in wisdom? It's almost too much. God grew in wisdom? Stature, that's more understandable. It's speaking of his physical being. But here's one that really threw me for a loop here. And God grew in favor with God. And God grew in favor with man. Jesus grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God, favor with man. That means because he grew, he had not been at his full capacity And the reason he wasn't at full capacity is because he chose certain limitations. This is what the Bible says in Hebrews 2.14. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. Now watch this, Hebrews 2.14. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power over death. So this got me thinking, okay. So Jesus lays down certain things. So that then when somebody says, well, well you, I can't do that because Jesus was God. Now, wait a minute. Jesus laid down certain aspects of his divinity so that you and I would be left without excuse when he modeled the life he lived. I'm going to say that again. Jesus laid down certain aspects of his divinity so that you and I would be without excuse when he modeled the life that he lived. Jesus didn't come just to restore us unto God. Jesus came to model the life that man was meant to live from the beginning. Favor with God, favor with man, walking in divinity and power. Now watch this. Matthew 3.16. I told you we're going to be through several scriptures today. Matthew 3.16. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, The heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. So the Holy Spirit came to rest upon Jesus in an outward way when he began his ministry in Matthew chapter 3. 
Isaiah the prophet tells of the Holy Spirit resting on Jesus. I'm going to read two chapters of Isaiah, but look at Isaiah 11. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. Watch this. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. That's If you follow the genealogies, that's the line of Christ. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Those are seven things that were listed there. This is what Revelation refers to as the sevenfold spirit of God. But the spirit of God came to rest on him. For what, for what purpose? To what end? Isaiah 61.1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted. And to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be free. Jesus came to preach the gospel. And I want to point something out about the ministry of Jesus. He used certain things to further the gospel, but his concern was always the soul. And this was his primary message, to repent for the kingdom of God was at hand. And Jesus came to preach that, but he preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus even cast out demons strictly by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll show it to you. Go to Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. Jesus himself says how he cast out devils. But if I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. Jesus healed the sick by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go to Matthew 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So we read that the Holy Spirit helped Jesus to begin his ministry. The Holy Spirit rested upon Jesus to serve various purposes. The Holy Spirit empowered Jesus to cast out devils. The Holy Spirit empowered Jesus to heal the sick. The Holy Spirit empowered Jesus to preach the good news. Everything he did, was reliant upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you receiving this this evening? Okay, we're going to go a little deeper here. I want you to understand that Jesus even resurrected from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. It says it right here in the Bible. Romans 1.4. Listen very carefully. Romans 1.4. And he was shown to be the son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans 8, 11, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Think about the trust that Jesus had to place on the Holy Spirit. Life himself died. Eternity himself faced the end of his time. Light himself stepped into darkness. There's a game I play with my nephews where I'll stand them up on the couch or a chair and I'll challenge them. I say, okay, fall backwards, but don't look back. And I'll give them a dollar or something. Liam never could do it. 
my nephew, Mike's, Mike's son, he stepped back every time and looked back to see if I was going to catch him. And it's something you call a trust fall. Now, I'm not going to do an illustrated sermon because that'll end up online somewhere. But, <laughs> but we call it a trust fall where you just go backwards and trust that the one who's behind you is going to catch you. You know, for all of eternity, the Trinity had known perfect unity. The Son, the Father, the Spirit connected. One perfect union, never broken. When Jesus died on that cross, that fellowship was severed. Jesus himself said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God forsook him. When he breathed his last, said, Father, into your hands I commit what? My spirit. Think about the fact that Jesus took a trust fall backwards into the grave and trusted that the Holy Spirit would catch him. If Jesus relied upon the Holy Spirit, how much more should we? Now, going back to Romans 8, 11, which is a very familiar portion of Scripture, the Bible says that the same Spirit, the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. Something I don't talk about often is what's going through my mind when I'm praying for the sick. Many of you have been to the services. You notice I don't lay hands on the sick. What I'm doing in that moment, number one, I'm just worshiping. Saying, are you thinking about the sick? No, I'm thinking about Jesus. I'm just worshiping him. Loving him. And the moment I forget about the people, that's when the anointing begins to flow. But something happens in that moment. As I'm worshiping, I connect in my mind, in my heart, with the reality that, first and foremost, I'm not my own. And secondly, that I'm standing in the Christ. Meaning, Jesus died in my place that I might live in his. The word became flesh, that flesh, you and I, might become the word. When you stand in Christ, you stand under that authority. You stand in his faith. I don't have the faith to pray for people. I really don't. I have a more skeptical, cynical mind than some of you would actually know. When I stand in Christ, I'm borrowing his faith. When I stand in Christ, I'm speaking in his name. When I stand in Christ, I'm under his authority. People say, well, well you know, so people come up on the platform. You see him paralysis, healed blindness, healed death. That has nothing to do with me, I promise you. Nothing to do with me. It's when I get out of the way and surrender to that spirit who lives in me that it begins to flow. And you may look on and say, wow, one day. No, you don't understand. I'm trying to teach you that the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. He lives in you. 
Our humanity can slow the flow. Our humanity can block our access to standing in that position. This is why I say that the greatest demonstration of the Holy Spirit's work in you is the character of Christ. I don't think God wants to give his power to people who don't love people. I don't think God can trust his power to people who don't know how to be merciful or compassionate. I don't think God can trust his real power to people who are judgmental, which is why religious people always lack power. They don't lack opinions. They don't lack rules. They don't lack regulations. They don't lack ideas. They don't lack judgment, but they lack power because they're not standing in Christ. They're trying to act with his hand without living in his heart. They're trying to, to do what he does without being what he is. But it's only when you learn to become like Christ that the power will flow. You chase the power first, go for it. But that's just witchcraft. You want the power, go for it. It'll destroy your life. They want the gifts, but they can't live in the glory. They want the power, but they don't know the presence. They want the demonstration, but they don't have the friendship with God. And so you see displays that seem to be lacking something. Prophecies that fail. And I'm not saying that you're going to get 100% because God is sovereign. There have been times I've prayed for people who were sick and they've died. That's the sovereignty of God. All I know is that my job is to simply have the faith and to stand in Christ. My, my challenge to you is to recognize that by living in the power of the Holy Spirit, you must first live in the nature of Christ. Adam, the first man, Jesus, the second. Adam, the prototype, Jesus, the fulfillment. Adam makes the error, Jesus makes the reconciliation. You and I must learn to walk in that. Now, Mark chapter 16, I'm going to read one more portion of Scripture. I won't have time to get into the rest of this message because I do want to pray for some people. How many of you are receiving this tonight? Well, let's hope. Mark 16, Mark 16, half the people who plotted didn't even hear what I said. They just said, oh, yeah, everyone's clapping. Let's clap. Mark 16, go to Mark 16, verse 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe. Now, these signs shall follow those with the proper credentials. I had someone comment on one of, one of my friend's posts. He said, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't want to hear anything this guy says. I only want to hear from people who've gone to seminary. He says, that, that, with credentials, then it's legitimate. Thinking, my friend, they didn't have seminary or credentials in the New Testament church. Acts 4.13 says that the apostles had no special training in Scripture, but they had been with Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong. You should want to study the Bible. But I'm saying it's not an impossible standard to begin being used by God. God is not looking for perfection, but progress. 
And these signs shall follow them that have the credentials, no. The charisma, no. The intelligence, no. The personality, no. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they shall cast out devils. You know, demons are still real. They haven't stopped being real. This is, this is a reality. Now, the modern world will mock this idea. But there are some things that are quite revealing of the reality that demonic beings exist. I'll tell you this right now. I can see the demon in some of the eyes of some of these political figures you see on TV. You may not like what I said. There's the door. I'm telling you the truth. Some of these people are filled with devils, demons. You know what we have to start doing? Being more discerning. Some of you are letting demon-possessed people talk to you through your screen, and you don't even know it. Now, this, this isn't just Pentecostal fear-mongering here. I'm talking about protecting yourself from the constant speaking, the propaganda. The, the, the dem- there is demonic propaganda that goes out. And you just welcome it right in and live in it. You shouldn't be taking advice from demons. You should be casting them out. It's a reality. It's true. There are people who are demon-possessed. Demon, but I'm telling you, you may say, well, that's, you mean like there, there are metaphors and figments and literature for evil and personification of that which is wicked in man's heart? No, I mean literal sentient beings who exist in another dimension that try to impact the world through negative effects. I'm talking about actual demonic beings and they reside in some people and God has called you to free that one who is tormented. My name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues. It's a whole different sermon I've got. A whole series on tongues. They shall take up serpents. No, it's not talking about handling serpents. You cross-reference this with other references that Jesus uses to this phrase. Look it up in your Bible and look all throughout the Gospels. When you see this take up serpents, it's always a sign or a, a way of communicating the idea that you have power to handle demonic beings. If they drink anything deadly, it shall not hurt them. This is not an invitation to go drinking deadly things. This is speaking of divine protection. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now watch this. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Wait a minute. He was received up into heaven and he was working with them. Imagine standing there the day Jesus ascends. I'll be with you always. And then he floats away into the clouds. That's literally what happened. I'll always be with you. And that's why they were just staring. An angel had to come and say, why are you staring into the sky? The same way he left, he's going to come back. Go and get to work. But you notice it says... That he ascends, and then he's working with them. I'll show you two more verses. Two more verses. John 14, 12. I tell you the truth. In other words, believe me. He's emphasizing this. 
anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Why does that matter? Hold that phrase, because I'm going to be with the Father, because I'm going to be with the Father. Why? John 16, 7. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. The Holy Spirit won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. So Jesus is going away runs parallel with the events of the Holy Spirit coming. Therefore, John 14, 12 can be read, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am sending the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit was never meant to end with Christ. Christ was a position in the earth. Some might say, are you saying we're God? No, don't take it that way. Don't hear what I'm not saying. What I am saying is the authority of that title. It rests on you. We're otherworldly beings, people of God. This is why I'm deeply offended at Christians who are easily offended. This is why I'm deeply offended with myself. I know why Paul said, wretched man that I am. There are so many ways that I'm not like God. (laughs) There are so many ways that I'm not like Jesus. And every day, I ask him, just please, just make me a little more. A little more like him. Godly beings, divine people, a royal priesthood filled with the Holy Spirit of God. When people come into contact with you, they should leave your presence in awe, going, I've never experienced such love. I've never had anyone speak to me with such kindness. I, I, I never felt so connected with God. The power demonstration is just on top of that. But the power of the Holy Spirit belongs to you and I. God is just looking for people who will say, I'll live in that. Do it in my life, Lord. Do it in me. Now, for those of you watching online, I want to offer a prayer that God might solidify what he's done through this word in your heart. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for that one watching now. And I ask you, Lord, for your power to begin to flow. Move through each one, I pray. In the name of Jesus. I want you to say it because you believe it. Say, amen. Well, thank you. Those of you who've watched online, we love you. We appreciate you. Please come visit us here at Praise Chapel Paramount. And until next time, remember, nothing is impossible with God. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, Follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.